Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 4 is over, but we are just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Feedback Show here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who are already broken into a thousand pieces like Theon. <laughs> I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Josh Wegler. Hopefully not exactly like Theon, right? No, not exactly like Theon, uh, but broken all the same. When did that happen? When did that happen for us? When, when was it? When was your breaking point, Rob? Mm, I think it was I like ninth grade. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. I had an especially rough sixth grade. I Ooh. remember vividly. Yeah, I just like I did not. I did not like my friends anymore. I didn't mm-hmm. want to see them. I stayed at home the whole year. No sleepovers. It was very very uh, dark times. Oh my god! Well, in the prequels, we'll really explore and do a deep dive. We're going to really dig into that and really figure out, you know, the real psychology behind all of that. Because as as you can tell by the sound of my voice, it was really haunting and I'm still not feeling great about it. <laughs> all right. Well, I really wish we hadn't brought it up. Why did I do that? <laughs> well, it's happy times on Game of Thrones. So you have. To so it has to be dark and depressing in our real lives. Somewhere. Find a balance. OK, well, we have so much to get into here today following this episode number four of Game of Thrones season six. Josh, can you believe it? After Sunday, we're going to be halfway through. Yeah, man, it halfway is home. flying, flying. We are flying straight through the moon door of this season of Game of Thrones. It really does feel like it's going Really fast. And that's typically how it works on Game of Thrones is you wait forever for it to come back. Then it comes back and then it's done. You know, you snap your fingers and it's gone. Uh, But I'm enjoying it. I'm really loving the season. The season's been, you know, I I like that speed of the storytelling. Sometimes the show can drag a little bit as they're trying to put pieces into place. And I think that you're seeing a little bit of that here and there this season. But so many things are moving in directions that and maybe it's because I don't have like the foresight that I once did of knowing some of the signposts that were coming up like, all right, well, Jon Snow is going to die at the end of the season. Like we don't have too many of those. So a lot of these developments are surprising for me. And it's just been it's been really, really enjoyable. No, I think it's been a very fun season. Good pace. I feel like last season we were talking about like, okay, is anything really going on? And then it was it wasn't until we got to hard home where we started. okay, finally, something happened. So this is a really, I think, a very consistent and strong season and a lot to unpack on the feedback show. Josh, of course, all week long, you are knocking out stories uh, for The Hollywood Reporter. Anything of note you want to mention that you covered this week? No, it's actually a little bit of a lighter workload for me this week. THR is tied up with TV upfronts and stuff. Um, I'm also starting to write about another show that's coming out for them, uh, Preacher. Have you heard of this Preacher, Rob? I have, yes. Preacher, based on a comic book, uh, my favorite comic book of all time. It's hitting AMC on Sunday night, so I've been picking up some stories on that front. And since it's you know the lead-up to the premiere, I've been really steeped in that. I've seen the first few, really recommended. I hope some of you guys go check it out. Uh, but other than that, I haven't been doing too much in Game of Thrones land. I did talk to the director of this past episode, um, who also directed the episode before, Oathbreaker and Book of the Stranger. He was a good guy to talk to. It was fun to talk to him and kind of get his take on where Danny and John's heads are at. It was a quick chat, but he was talking about John kind of going through the stages of grief. Uh, in reverse order when he wakes up back from the dead and how, you know, they were really approaching the rebirth in sort of, um, you know, really embracing the birth aspect of it and kind of thinking about Jon Snow almost like a child, kind of not emotionally prepared for what was going on. It was kind of fascinating to talk to him about. So if you want to read that, that's up on THR.com slash Game of Thrones. He doesn't have a Benjamin Button thing going on, does he? (laughs) 
Yeah, by the end of the series, a he is, Yeah, yeah, Benjamin Button. Oh my God, that's why we haven't seen um, Benjamin uh, on the show for a long time because little did we know that he is now one of the children of the forest, and yeah. like he is just like aged it down. He's Gilly's baby. Like one of those. <laughs> He's little Sam. <laughs> He's little Sam. Benjamin Button. Oh man, the hashtag revealed. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Uh, that was a great guffaw. I'm happy with that. All right. Also, Josh, you were working on Book Club as well, uh, which is going to be coming up probably about uh, a day or so behind uh, when you guys are listening to this podcast. Yeah, that'll drop on Friday morning. That seems to be the landing spot for the Game of Thrones Book Club this season. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably too late to get any questions in. But you can ask. You can see. Maybe we'll get that done. So it'll be a really fun show. Really looking forward to this one. All right. Make sure you don't miss any of that stuff. Of course, We'll be back again Sunday night live after episode number five for the halftime show of Game of Thrones. Uh, catch it all when you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes or search for the Game of Thrones post show recap in your favorite podcast. All right. Where do you want to start our discussion uh, this week? We, we have to start with Danny, right? Yeah, I would think so. We actually didn't get much feedback at all uh, about Danny's storyline, which was kind of surprising to me. I know a lot of people have been out on Daenerys Targaryen over the past couple of seasons, really just hanging out in Meereen or in that part of the world when a lot of people think, like, why aren't you going to Westeros yet? It was a real hang-up for a lot of book readers, I know, and I think that it didn't translate super well on the show but I felt really great about her this week. I just wonder, do you think, Rob, are the people too far out on Danny at this point that even when she has such a hell yeah moment like she did this week, that they kind of just don't care about that as much as they care about other things? No, I think that there was just nothing to discuss with it. It was just like, well, that was awesome. That was like a real <laughs> drop the mic moment for Daenerys that we didn't necessarily see coming i want to say that maybe is she like a beyonce where she could just drop an album on us all of a sudden and it's like oh my god we're all so blown away dragon aid dragon aid sure lemon cakes aid but i don't know if anybody was you know down on the queen bee like they were the uh the khaleesi yeah, Queen D. Yeah. Uh, no, I think everyone was up on it. It's just, I, I think that that's probably right, that it's just, it's fairly straightforward. We can kind of guess where we're going next. I think Danny marches back to Marine. I think she solves that situation. Then it's onward and upward to Westeros. And it's just really the particulars of how all of that is going to come into place. I think that's really the question. But in terms of what she actually did in this episode, I know that you and I, had some conversations, Rob, on the air about the mechanics, the specifics right. <laughs> of how of how that all played out. I, I apologize. It did, I did not ask neither the director or Kyle Morrow about the gasoline that may or may not have <laughs> been in the, temp, in the temple. Uh, yeah. That question somehow fell off the list uh, somewhere along the way. I apologize <laughs> to you, Rob, and anyone else who really cared about that. Uh, no, but I did see an alternate theory. Uh, was it from Laws in the comments on Post Show Recaps that he said that I felt like that it's been said that dragons and Targaryens are literally fire incarnate. Uh, she went full carry. I interpreted the fire as an extension of her will. The wow. fire even roared like a dragon and leapt like uh, the one that one Cal, uh, Calmaro. So what do you think about that? Did you think that there was some sort of Targaryen fire commanding magic in play? Man, do not pour pig's blood on Danny. 
Uh, <laughs> do not invite her to your prom. It will be bad. It will be bad. No, I hadn't really considered it that way. That's interesting. That's an interesting read on it. I don't. I don't necessarily view it like that. That it was some sort of she's manipulating the fire. I think it's that she can withstand the fire. She can take the heat, uh, which is different from how it is in the book. Apparently, th- this came out over the week that um, you know people were looking back at an old quote of George R. R. Martin's, who said that the birth of the dragons and Danny surviving that was sort of a one-time miraculous event. And don't expect Danny to have the fire thing going on throughout the rest of the series. Obviously, the show and the books, different mm-hmm. beasts, very much so at this point. And on the show, it's much more of a superpower. And I like that because it's cool, it's visual, and I feel like it opens the doors to some other possibilities of like, when is Danny's next fire trick going to happen? Is she just like going to walk up to her two dragons in the dungeons in Mirene and they're going to be mad at her, so they're going to breathe fire at her? And she'll just like walk right through it and be totally fine. So I don't know how that plays out in the future, but I really like that they brought it back in this episode. And I like that change from the books. I think it's good. You know, Josh, I tend to follow a lot of these other stories that are breaking on the internet. And sometimes I don't really know if they these are straw men or not when I see articles. Was there a backlash, not a backdraft, a backlash? Great movie, by the way. <laughs> about... uh, Daenerys being impervious to fire because that is not how she is depicted in the books. Uh, There was a Mashable article this week about how fans are up in arms over Daenerys uh, not being burnt by the fire here. And they felt like that that was uh, not depicted in the same way as she is in the in the books. She is not fireproof. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't encountered any fans who are furious about this. That would, you know, there's so much else to be mad about. <laughs> if like you're if you're a real book loyalist, you know, if you're if that's where your loyalty lies primarily um, and you value that so much more than you value the show to the point that some of these people don't really care for the show anymore. If you're really getting hung up on Danny being awesome with fire in a scene like this, which was just a decisively great scene, uh, in my opinion, I guess, at least, uh, that that strikes me as a little bizarre. Uh, But I haven't encountered that. For many of the people that I know that have read the books, uh, I'm staying with my good buddy and fellow podcaster Kevin Mahadeo out in California uh, this week. And uh, he was uh, he's a huge fan of the books, loves the books and had no complaints about the Danny scene, loved the Danny scene. Thought it was really great. So that's my barometer. And he tends to get really mad when adaptations don't stick to the details, as anyone who listened to the Batman v Superman podcast can attest. You know, sometimes like, there's headlines about, like, oh, people are really mad about this. But then it's, you know, sometimes there is not a lot of empirical evidence that people are actually mad about that other than a very, very vocal tiny minority yeah it seems like that that's got to be small because i haven't really heard much uh backlash or backdraft to that uh i guess while we're in the mirene area let's just talk a little bit more about some of the storylines that are going on there uh ethan byler had written in about the scene where dario finds out about jorah's grayscale this is ethan's comment on that this week we were once again reminded that sir jorah contracted grayscale and the disease is spreading all over his body What is the point of this storyline? I know this story is different in the books, and for the life of me, I can't think of a reason why it exists on the show. I mean, are they setting up a plague outbreak of some kind, or for Jorah to volunteer for some sort of suicide mission, or for him to travel to one of the grayscale colonies near Old Volantis? Other than this being more or less a death sentence for Sir Jorah, what do we care that he has grayscale? Why are we spending time on this when there is so little time left? 
What's your response to that, Rob? I mean, I think that we've always been on the same page at some point that Jorah will heroically give up his own life for something noble, whether it's to save Danny or to do something for the cause. I mean, is the George Mason thing, haven't we always said that that's going to yeah, be the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to fly the dragon into the, into the middle of the desert and detonate the bomb. I think that that's where it's going. I mean, I can't imagine that we're going to really spend a lot of time exploring grayscale awareness here in... Uh, Westeros and Essos. <laughs> you know, there is a thought, though, because uh, it's playing out differently on the show than it is in the books. And um, the way that people in the books have kind of read it is a little bit of like, oh, my God, is there going to be some sort of is like, are people going to start getting grayscale on top of everything else that's going on? And I think that the show has been dealing with it differently. And especially now that the secret is out for Dario, that Dario knows about Jorah's grayscale really feels to me like it can't be too much longer before a bunch of other people know about it, primarily Daenerys Targaryen. Like, that's an inevitable discovery, and I don't think that you can have so many people knowing about it and also having Jorah being, you know, sort of this, um, you know, this Patrick Dempsey of outbreak situation thing going on here. Like, I don't think that he is going to be going around spreading the disease unwittingly. Uh, I just don't think that that's what's going to happen. I think some sort of suicide play is going to be in effect. And I think, why do we care? It's Sir Jorah. Don't we care about Jorah the Andal? He's a great character. He's been with us from the very beginning. I will also say that I think it's also inside the realm of possibility that we've had it discussed on the show that Melisandre was able to cure Shireen with uh, sort of uh, the Lord of Light. Uh, fire and I feel like that we have some tie-ins here with uh, this uh, Danny storyline and so potentially maybe there's a cure for Jorah along the way oh well that would be nice that would be great I would love that I would love if somebody could save Jorah Jorah Cura uh, Jorah Cura I think that that Jorah the Explorer I think that that would be great I would love to see some happy ending for that guy not counting on it because this is Game of Thrones and he has a ticking time bomb, you know, you know, it's running down, counting down over his head as though doom has been cast on him. The doom. So, yeah, the doom. Uh, so I think that he's probably dead man walking. Um, I think we care because he's Jorah and we like Jorah, or at least I really like Jorah. Uh, we'll see where that goes. One more Mirene question. This is from Matt in Davenport. He called in with a voicemail about Davos what Tyrion Davosport. Matt called in about uh, Tyrion's deal making in this episode, has a question about that that you and I didn't really consider on the live show. Hey guys, this is Matt in Davenport, Iowa. I'm um, calling about Tyrion and his deal. I think that it's just a stalling tactic. He's trying to wait till Daenerys gets back because uh, they're not going to take that deal. They're going to come back and say something like, you know, we want we want 50 years more slavery and just try and wait until she dies. Uh, in order to get it passed through. So I think he's just trying to buy some time because while those guys are in um, Marine, you know, they, they won't have, be able to have any kind of uh, attack by the Sons of the Harpy. Okay, so what do you think of that in terms of that not being a real offer? Well, you know, I, I hadn't been thinking about it during the episode. I took it at face value that Tyrion is being pragmatic in his mind, um, is trying to, as he says, make peace with your enemies, not your friends. Um, and he's trying to come up with this compromise that's going to end this conflict with the Sons of the Harpy without further bloodshed, at least in Meereen. I mean, there would certainly be some bloodshed with the reinstitution of slavery, I'm sure. Um but I, it, it would be really nice if he has another plan up his sleeve. You know, it would be really great if Tyrion has some other thing that he is thinking about here 
where he is going to somehow secretly uh, one up the masters from Yukai and Asapor and Volantis and everything like that. Uh, do I am I counting on it? No. I think that it seems like he's being straight up about this, but there are a few scenes like where he's talking with Grey Worm and Missande, and they both seem to be kind of like um, not really psyched about it. And they're talking with him like, don't use us for this agenda ever again. And the way that he's kind of interacting with them and looking at them sort of makes me wonder if he's got like something else in mind that he's just not saying yet. Um, I don't know. What's your what's your thought on this? I'm talking a lot. I think this is the plan. I don't think that there's a backup plan because I think if there was a, a really like if this was like a ruse or, or a ruse, yeah, I think he says to, to Masande and Grey Worm like, oh no 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 no, I, I, we're not we're not doing this. This isn't the real plan. We're not really doing yeah. slavery for seven more years. Just trust me. Trust me on this. Yeah, yeah. Trust I me. guess I I was gonna say like, does he trust them enough to fill them in on his real plan? Um. And I feel like probably, yeah. right? I mean, like, what are they really going to do if he's telling them, you know, what's going on? And, you know, they're not going to betray him, I, I don't imagine. So I don't know. Yeah, it's probably legit. It's probably <laughs> legit. You I know? think this is the plan. I think this is the plan. I don't love the plan. I understand the plan. It's not my favorite plan, but I do think it's the plan. Yeah, I think that's he's what he's going with. Sticking to it. Again, I don't think Danny's going to be so excited about it. When oh, definitely not. When she shows up, you know, I think that she's going to have a lot to say about this plan and I don't think it's going to get stuck to, uh, but I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I, I think that that's where we are with that. All right, let's leave Mireen. Let's go to our favorite spot. And actually, let's talk about this being our favorite spot uh, with a voicemail from our good friend, our Philly. Let's go to the north. Our Philly has sort of a, an umbrella question for us, Rob. Hey, what up, Rob and Josh? It's Rich Filiberto, your boy, our Philly. So King's Landing was always Rob's favorite place in the show. It is known. Then the High Sparrow showed up and sucked all the life out of the city, and that yeah. was a total buzzkill. So I'm just curious if you guys think that this ensemble of characters we have up at Castle Black has turned that into the new King's Landing for us. There's all these interesting relationships at play. Some of those guys love each other. Some of them hate each other. Some of them hero worship Jon Snow. And while we can assume John's going to be leaving pretty quickly, I think it's safe to say most of the principles are going to be going with him. So I'm just wondering, out of all those threads that are being woven together up there, which ones are you guys most excited to see unravel? And would you agree that that is, in fact, the most interesting storyline we're getting this season? Thanks so much, you guys. Have a good one. Okay. Power rankings. Locations. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's interesting because we did, you know, we talked about this a lot, you know, when we started doing these Game of Thrones podcasts about how you love King's Landing and King's Landing, that political wheeling and dealing really was for a very long time, the heart of the show. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of lost it a little bit. The, uh, you know, the, the cleansing, the purification of, uh, you know, this sort of puritanical King's Landing that we're seeing now with the highest barrow there. We haven't loved that. We were looking at Meereen maybe this season as possibly being a new King's Landing type because Tyrion's there and Varys is there and they're getting to do some wheeling and dealing. But really both the show, you know, the actual show Game of Thrones and our podcasts have been so heavily focused on what's going on at the wall with Jon Snow and the wildlings and what's happening with Winterfell and the battle that seems to be brewing over there. I think the wall and the North, that whole story is 
pretty easily the most interesting stuff on the show right now, at least for me. Yeah, we got a lot going on there. I mean, we have the Jon Snow resurrection, and then on top of that, you have sort of like the leftovers from the Stannis the story. Leftovers? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I'm so excited for it to come back. Yeah. Uh, so you have uh, you have Davos, you have Melisandre, so you have that, that folded in there, and now you're going to add in Sansa, uh, Brienne, you know, Podrick's there too. One won the giant, and I feel like that, that. If they throw in Benjamin Button, then it's really <laughs> just the cherry on top. Yeah, to me, I feel like you've got the most action going on there. So I do think that, good point, R. Philly. I think that that is number one on the board, the wall. Yeah, I think pretty easily right now. I mean, who knows if it'll stay that way, and it certainly hasn't always been that way. Um, but it is right now. There's a lot to unpack with a guy who got killed and is suddenly alive again. You know, <laughs> you're going to be intrigued by that. And I think with the off season, with so much attention on what's going to happen with John, is Kit Harrington still on the show? All of that, um, and the way that it's paid off, the way that it has, uh, it, it turns out that we're right, and this character is back in the mix. I think that uh, it's hard not to be super intrigued by what's going on there. And then. Don't say that King's Landing is totally out of the picture because now you have Jamie back there. You still have, sure. you know, Jamie, Cersei. And don't forget, you know, you have uh, Lady Olena. You have the reanimated mountain. Right. Uh, Mr. Cersei. Kyburn, who is right. like Kyburn. really like kind of, he's like quietly the best. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that there is uh, still a lot to like in uh, King's Landing, especially when we're not dealing with the High Sparrow. And we might kill the High Sparrow. That would be great. That would be nice. Like All right. Let, let's keep talking about the wall. Let's talk about um, the John and Sansa reunion. Are you still feeling emotional about it all these days later, Rob? Are you still, does a tear come to your eye when you think about the reunion of the Stark siblings? I definitely got chills while the scene was on, but yeah. I, I have been able to concentrate on other things in the days uh, coming out of this episode. Sure. That was actually a really fun thing that I got from my interview with the director, Dan Sackheim, who was saying, like, I asked him, like, what was the atmosphere on set, you know, during that scene? And he was like, honestly, I was feeling pretty mechanical about the thing. I'm directing the show. I'm trying not to, you know, think about it that way. But uh, he says that he was looking around and there were people in the crew who were crying during the shoot. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know what? This is kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, Sophie Turner and Kit Harrington, outside of the pilot and even then really barely any interaction, they've never been on the show together before. Mm -hmm. And the Starks have been scattered for so long that it's a heavily emotional thing when you get a few of them back together. And it's cool to know that, that you know, it was it was received that way during the making of the scene. I really liked uh, hearing about that. But Spencer had uh, an observation, not Spencer Bledsoe. Uh, Spencer had written in an observation about something that John and Sansa said and wants you and I to talk something through. You ready for this, Rob? Ready. This is what Spencer says. In this episode, John and Sansa had a reunion moment and they talked about wanting to go back in time to never leave Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Can you do a what if scenario about what that looks like? Let's say that John doesn't leave for the wall and Ned Stark turns down the offer to become Hand of the King. Would the Starks really still survive the conflict to come? Would the conflict even happen? Are the Starks really determining the fate of this in any way or are they just a footnote? in the history books. I was talking about that a little bit in terms of like this idea of the time travel where with right. Bran and going back to, you know, could they change the history of the show? 
And so I think that what that looks like, and again, now is Bran still getting pushed out the window by Jamie and Cersei? Yeah, probably, right? I mean, I don't think that, uh, I don't think Ned's decision to go south and be the king's hand has anything to do with the fact that Bran loves to climb and mm. Jamie and Cersei love to bone each other. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that Bran probably still would have seen that happen. So I think that the big thing is that the War of the Five Kings is averted. So yeah. I do not believe that that is still happening. I mean, I think that probably uh, King Robert is still meeting the same fate. I think that plot to uh, kill him still happens. And then Joffrey becomes king. And things are all sort of honky-dory in the north up until the point that the White Walkers come down and then uh, kill everybody. Mm, yeah, probably. because Winter's I mean, still coming. Winter's still coming. But I think that, you know, is Ned Stark, you know, is he going to announce himself as the king of the north to avenge the death of Robert Baratheon to go down south and, you know, fix things because Bobby Baratheon died for all he will have known at that point. Bobby Baratheon got skewered by a boar, and that yeah. was the end of the story. He's not going to go ahead. And, and it's like, yeah, that Joffrey kid is a brat. Mm-hmm. But, like, he has no reason to believe that he is an illegitimate child. He's not Robert Baratheon's actual heir. Uh, so I think things probably, I think you're right. I think for the North, at least, things probably play out pretty straightforward. And really, a lot of this chaos that we're seeing doesn't happen at least not the way that it ensues so i don't think that the starks are just a footnote in the history books i really think that ned's decision to go down south changes everything and i think that you know john and sansa and everybody they aren't on their journeys without ned doing that so uh if they all just stay put Maybe they live happily ever after until they get their faces ripped off by White Walkers. (laughs) Yeah, that's the big asterisk of everything is probably fine up until, you know, uh, the Night's King crosses over the wall and then kills everybody. Yeah, that's probably true. So they've got another good five, six years together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is from Robert Craig about Sansa. Sansa Stark seems to be a, a much stronger person this season. Do you think that Sansa will be the Carol of Game of Thrones? I have a feeling she's going to be the one to put an end to Ramsay. What do you guys think? Um, and just to set that up for people who don't know what a Carol is, not a Carrie, as we discussed earlier, and not a Carrie Bradshaw, Carol being a very popular character on The Walking Dead who did not start out that way, but over the course of the seasons became a real badass and a real fan favorite. Do you think that Sansa is sort of following that same sort of trajectory where by the end of the season, people are really going to be worshiping Sansa Stark? I think that people definitely will have a fondness for Sansa Stark, a character that maybe went unappreciated in the early days of the show. But I don't think in the same way where Carol is a badass and could kill anybody. I just don't think in this world of warriors and swords and battles and stuff like that, I don't think Sansa's fighting anybody. She might stab somebody, uh, but I think that she could become a power player a la like a Cersei, but on that we're rooting for. Yeah. I don't think that she's going to necessarily become a badass to the degree that we think of Carol as a badass. John had a question about Sansa uh, and what her next moves will be. Let's assume that Sansa and John are able to conquer Winterfell in this scenario. So John writes, after Sansa and John regain Winterfell, if they free River Run and they defeat the phrase, do you think that Sansa would exact revenge on Littlefinger next and claim the veil as well? 
Um, so I guess the, que- the the core of the question is ultimately at the end of the day here is Sansa looking at Littlefinger whenever Littlefinger arrives as somebody to work with for now, but screw over later. Do you think ultimately already in her mind, Littlefinger is more foe than friend? Yeah, I think she's kind of annoyed with him. I mean, we see in the preview, she's talking to him and saying like, hey, what was the deal with Ramsey? What was going on there? So I think that Littlefinger probably, hopefully he has another trick up his sleeve. I'm so happy Littlefinger is back. It's great. He is probably... Uh, I don't want to say my favorite character on the show, but he's he's way, way up there. And I feel like, you know, there's probably performances I enjoy more like Tyrion, but I feel like that I am always, you know, just glued to the TV when uh, whenever Littlefinger comes on the screen. You're a little fanger. Big fan. I'm a b- big fanger. <laughs> big fanger. You're a Pataire man. Yes. So, yeah. no, he's the best, and I can't wait to see what he's going to come up with next. And I'm worried that his downfall could be coming, and I feel like that I'm going to be upset if that happens. Because, you know, if it's just like Sansa just gets one over on him, I'm going to be a little annoyed that he didn't see that coming. I feel like he is closer to Endgame. Like, I don't think Littlefinger can escape this show uh, alive. I, I really would be surprised by that, but I feel like he's got to make it into the final couple of seasons, uh, or if it's only one more season, who, who knows? But in the final stretch of episodes, I think he's got to play a role somewhere in there because I really feel like we're not leaving season six with Ramsey Bolton alive. I think the Boltons will both be gone at that point, and we're going to need some sort of really punchable human bad guy. And I think Littlefinger has been that guy for so long and has been building up so much power and shoring up so much power and creating so much chaos that I think that all of that has to come to a boil eventually, but probably, you know, in a way that it's more focused on him, where he has a little bit more room to spread his wings and be more of a, you know, a puffed out character. And I think that that's got to be not this year. Uh, so I feel like Littlefinger dies eventually, but probably not until next year or the year after. And in terms of did Littlefinger know just how bad of a guy Ramsey Bolton was? Uh, we I don't think he did. We debated that last season. Of I did, know. He, did he did he know? And if Sam- I was on the side that he totally knew and like he was like just hedging his bets. But uh, I believe it's, you know, it's pretty clear at this point that I was wrong and he did not know what Ramsey really was. Mm hmm. Yeah, and if Sansa calls him out on that, like, hey, you knew, like, I feel like he's going to be able to answer that pretty honestly. Like, no, 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 no. Like, seriously, I had no idea. Like, yeah, I did like not I know. I screwed that one up, yeah. Like, you know, I thought he was maybe a little, you know, rough around the edges, but I had no idea, like, he was a total psychopath. Right. I'm going to kill um, his dad. So, Rob, here's the thing. Have you been paying attention to this online about people kind of questioning the veracity of Ramsey Bolton's letter? Have you have you seen that people yes. are wondering whether or not Ramsey is the man who authored that letter? First off, what's your take on this? Could it be a forgery is the question. Right. The question is, is it a forgery? Was Ramsey really the person who writes this letter that challenges John, um, that is really mocking him and threatening him? Is that actually Ramsey or is it a ruse, not a ruse? <laughs> uh, and this is, a, you know, this is a theory that has, uh, it has origins in the books. There is a letter in the books from Ramsey Bolton, but people wonder if it's actually from Ramsey or if it's from somebody else. And it seems like some of that theorizing is on the show. This is a comment from Dave. 
tossing out a possible culprit because a lot of the culprits that I have seen are like, is it the Umbers? We're still really on this. The Umbers are good guys train. Uh, is it Littlefinger is mm-hmm. another one that I really like that, you know, this certainly seems like you could see Littlefinger pulling a page out of his playbook here to really anger John and shore up some support from the Night's Watch and Wildlings, get as much firepower as you can against Winterfell. That feels like a Littlefinger move. But this is from Dave. Discount this if it's not possible, but think about the possibility of that letter being written by Sansa. Watch it again and see how quick she is to want to finish the letter and charge John up. What do you think about that, Rob? Is there any way that Sansa, who we're talking about as somebody who is growing into some sort of rootable Cersei-ish role, where she is starting to be that person who knows how to play the game and be a little bit manipulative and shrewd and use that to her advantage, is there any chance that Sansa, who was really amped up about conquering the North again by retaking her home and wanting John to do it and seeing that John really wasn't on board. Could Sansa have anything to do with this? I would say there is a 0.000 chance that Sansa forged that letter and then put the Bolton seal on it, somehow sent it to the Night's Watch. I mean, she, she does not have those resources at her disposal. Completely agree. And I'm also inclined, you know, I really do like the idea of somebody playing a trick. Like, I, I think that that's fun. That's a cool mystery. But I think like the, you know, like the Northern conspiracy that a lot of people want to see happen, I'm having a hard time backing it up. Um, you know, not only like, you know, the Umbers forking over Rickon and Osha and one of them dying one episode after they've shown right. up. Like, that's already pretty thin. But I think just the idea of anybody sending this, you have a Bolton Bannerman show up at Castle Black. So that's already happened. You know that it's coming from Ramsey's neck of the woods. Um, they're mentioning Rickon in the letter. Like, the details of the letter have to come from Ramsey's camp. Um, so really, it couldn't be Littlefinger, I don't think. There's no way that he knows about Rickon and everything. Um, I feel like it's got to be Ramsey or a Ramsey loyalist. Or I guess if it's the Umbers, if you're really thinking that something like that is going on. But I don't think it's Sansa, and it's probably not Littlefinger either. If you're Littlefinger, don't you want Sansa up at Castle Black where she can be safe while the Knights of the Vale come and storm Winterfell? I just don't understand what he would be wanting to have happen there, especially if the Knights of the Vale are coming to storm Winterfell, then yeah. why have you know Ramsay leave unless you're going to be trying to jump him? Uh, but but that, that doesn't make any sense either. So you would send a letter to Ramsay and be like, hey, we've got Sansa here. Why don't you come get her? Right, 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 right. I mean, a cool idea, right? It would be fun. It would be fun to see Littlefinger, you know, spinning his wheels again and doing something wild and crazy, but I just don't see it happening. I think it's straightforward. I think it's Ramsay. We've seen a lot of Ramsey trash talking Jon Snow this season already and talking about, you know, let's take out the bastard. So I think it fits with what Ramsey's been doing. I agree. I don't think it's a forgery. Seems like vintage Ramsey. Classic, Classic Ramsey. Ramsey. Classic Ramsey. All right. Let's talk about Jon Snow super fast before we move on from John and Sansa. This is from Bobby from Jersey. You and I, Rob, were just talking about how the wall is so exciting and we're so pumped about Jon Snow being back. Bobby floats forth a possible different perspective. Hey, Rob and Josh, Bobby from Jersey here, really enjoying the recaps. I was wondering, how much longer do you think Jon Snow is going to have the crybaby-itis going? I mean, is it time to call the ambulance? But no, seriously, I mean, obviously he's been through a lot, and he seems like kind of a changed man since he came back from the dead. But uh, how much longer do you think this is going to keep up? Do you think we'll get the old Jon Snow back, or is this just something that's going to affect him for a long time? 
What do you guys think? Because John did come back and, you know, showed us a little bit of the emo snow thing. Mm -hmm. You know, he came back from the dead. He was very bummed out. He quits being Lord Commander. He's not really crying or anything. He doesn't have crybabyitis, but you could see it behind closed doors that that would be the case. But I feel like at the end of the episode, it seems like we're taking a turn for the for the snow. Like we're, I think we're getting back into the Jon Snow. Yeah, I think so. I think that after coming back from being dead and being killed by Brothers of the Night's Watch and that little jerk Ollie, I think he was like, "What am I doing this for? Why do why do I am I even getting out of bed in the morning? Because if this is all there is, what's the point?" And then I think it was now that okay, now it's not just our castle. But our brother is in danger. And so I think that this is enough to get him back in the swing of things. I think so, too. Let's take a quick voicemail from Jeffrey Levinson, who has, uh, I think, a worthy follow up to what we're discussing right now. Hi, Robin, Josh. Do you think we're being set up for a disaster at the wall? When Jon Snow goes to fight at Winterfell, he will take the 2000 wildlings with him, leaving behind about 40 to 50 of the Night's Watchmen. This would be the perfect time for the Night's King to attack the Wall. Do you think we're in for a surprise White Walker attack at the Wall by the end of the season? All right. So so here's what I'm thinking. And you tell me if this sounds plausible uh, or even uh, or debunk it. You know, do whatever you want to do. With okay. this. I feel like Jon Snow, Sansa, everybody, like things are trending downward for Ramsey Bolt. Right. You know, everybody is coming for that guy. Uh, the Vale. The, you know, the Jon Snow team, you know, maybe like the Iron Islanders could even have some skin in the game here. Uh, lots of people coming for Ramsey, and I feel like he is just a dead man walking at this point. Not, you know, that he's not going to take out some people along the way, probably, but I think that his goose is almost cooked. Um, are we heading in the direction of Jon Snow becoming a Stark, you know, conquering Winterfell, becoming Lord of, the, of Winterfell, Warden of the North, all of this good stuff? only to lose the real home that matters, which is the entire Seven Kingdoms, by damming the wall, by neglecting the wall, and neglecting the threat that's marching south from beyond the wall, and the Night's King and the White Walkers come on through, and that's where we are by the end of the season. All right, so are you telling me that if Jon Snow stays at the wall with 2,000 wildlings, and then the Night's King marches on the wall those 2,000 wildlings will be the difference between no. defending the Seven Kingdoms and not. <laughs> Definitely not saying that, and I'm not blaming Jon Snow. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that if Jon Snow were to leave, that he is solely responsible for the death of man. Uh, but I do think that when he goes to Winterfell, I think he's going to win that battle, and the victory will be short-lived, because I think by the time he is winning over Winterfell, we are going to see some White Walkers in Westeros. You could argue that not having 2,000 wildlings at the wall when the Night's King comes is the best thing that you could do. <laughs> because then... Oh, that's actually interesting. Sure, yeah. <laughs> the Night's I King will have 2,000 yeah. more wildlings. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, <laughs> limit the supply. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. But, I, th- but I, f- I feel like that's... Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's good. I wonder if maybe the move is we're going to overtake Winterfell... Sansa yeah. can hold down the fort, Stark in Winterfell, Jon Snow can go be reincorporated into the cause against the Night's King, maybe by way of Bran, maybe by way of something that Sam figures out, maybe by way of, you know, word from the East. So I feel like that Sansa probably, I think, stays in Winterfell. I think Jon Snow goes back on the move. 
Interesting. Um, I like that. I think, you know, I think obviously Jon Snow's destiny is fighting those White Walkers. That's got to happen. I just think that when he, you know, wins over Winterfell, it's happening at the same time that this threat finally passes through to Westeros. Because I feel like we got to have that on the show for next year. Um, all right. So let's take one more voicemail about the wall. This is from Amanda Fallon uh, speaking about this eventual fight against the White Walkers. Here's something from Amanda that you and I haven't discussed yet. Hey, Robin Josh. It's Amanda of House Fallon calling. So Brienne and Oathkeeper made it to the wall. She has to get in on this White Walker obliteration, right? I mean, Valerian Steel doesn't come around every day. All right, well, my watch has ended. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> this is, I think that's fun. You know, the idea that Brienne has Oathkeeper with her, that's a Valyrian sword. We saw what Longclaw was able to do against the White Walker back in Hardhome. Are we going to, like, the show has to give us badass Brienne with her Valyrian sword knocking out a couple White Walkers here, right? Yeah, that would be interesting to see if she could also get in on the mix. And maybe, you know, she is going to be with uh, Tormund fighting side by side, perhaps. Uh, but mm. that, that's a good call. I mean, does every Valerian steel sword in existence have to be brought in for the cause here? Because even still, I feel like it's not going to do that much. No, it's not going to do a ton. It's not going to be the deciding factor, I don't think. But I think that you do... When when that whenever that battle comes, you know, I think that whatever weapons are on mankind's side, you do have to imagine that a lot of that gets thrown into the fray. A lot of that gets thrown into the battle. And I think whoever has a Valyrian sword and can, you know, contribute to this cause, I think that that's going to be fun to see. And certainly Brienne tooling on some White Walkers is something that I think Game of Thrones ought to show us. Yeah, I think it would be very fun to see her in the cause uh, fighting against uh, Night's King and company. Yeah, I think so too. Let's quickly stop in on Winterfell. I just thought that this was a fun comment from uh, my good friend, Maester Goldner, who wrote in to say, proof that Ramsay Bolton is pure, unmitigated evil. Who the hell peels the skin off an apple before eating it? It's a flayed apple. It's a flayed apple. Uh, all right. Well, that makes sense. All right, let's go. Let's talk about Littlefinger a little bit more. You want to talk about Littlefinger? Yes. Always. So speaking of uh, going into the fray, that is the those are the words that Littlefinger says at the end of his scene in the veil where he's saying it's time to join the fray. This is from Andrew Fair. Uh, Did you notice Littlefinger's choice of words at the end of his scene where he says that the time has come for the Knights of the Veil to join the fray? Surely that must have been on purpose. Is Littlefinger going to team up with Walder Frey to take out the Boltons? It would make sense given what Ramsay did to Fat Walda. I guess so, but has Littlefinger really, is he on top of this? I, I know he's on the move. Does he get, like, debriefings, you know, everywhere he goes? <laughs> yeah. Status report every morning. He has, uh, you he check has somebody the walking with him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with this morning cup of coffee. He seems like he's traveling by himself. Maybe he has, like, a couple people with him. Uh, yeah. So I don't know where he's getting updates from while he's on yeah. the move. Do we discuss previews here on the Game of Thrones feedback show, Rob? I mean, I kind of did already. All right, so let's talk about it here. And if you don't like it, skip forward a couple of minutes or like a minute. Um, Littlefinger is in the north in the next episode, or at least he is in Sansa's orbit. So Sansa would have to leave the north. I don't see that happening. So he's gotten there pretty quick, mm-hmm. considering we hadn't seen him in forever. I mean, I guess this has kind of been Littlefinger's superpower all along, right? He's everywhere. He moves so fast. Like he travels he by shortcuts. Map. He travels by map, that guy. Uh, So we see that he is going to be in Sansa's space next week. So he's not stopping by the twins first. 
Um, you think that he stopped by the twins already on the way? No, I'm no, I'm saying like I I, I think that Walter Frey is going to get back into the mix, but I don't know that Littlefinger is the guy to bring him in. Mm, yeah, I think that that is certainly fair. Um, if he does get back into the mix, uh, I, I don't know how, through what character we're seeing him other right. than just like cutting to him. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that. Hard to imagine that Littlefinger is pulling in Walder Frey here. It'd be fun. I feel like those are those are two characters that would be enjoyable to see in the same scene together. Uh, I just don't see it. Like I think that Littlefinger's got to get to this situation. You know, I think that that's the next time we see him. We see him in the North, and that's it. I think that Littlefinger is going to be a uh, hopefully big part of the back half of season six. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, let's talk about actual King's Landing for a little while. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick starts us off. He says. How badly is this plan to rescue Loris and Marjorie going to go from a scale of bad to hot, fiery mess of bad? That's the those are the two ends of the spectrum. There is no good. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, I I mean, it seems like it probably does not go great. No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no, I've been I've been pretty vocal about how I feel about how King's Landing is ultimately going to go. I think that that place is crushed. Um, I think that that place is going to tear itself apart. And I think that Cersei and her plan here, I think it's only going to exacerbate the situation. It's already so volatile uh, on the, you know, on the verge of combusting. And I think that we're really whenever that gets into effect and we've seen that in, you know, the trailer for this season of Game of Thrones, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen like Jamie and his men at the at the bottom of the steps going up to the Sept of Baylor. And I think that you could see like right in that scene things just going nuclear from there. I think King's Landing is effed, and I think that this plan is not going to help it. In fact, I think this plan could be the tipping point. About Cersei's plan, do you feel like, is she being genuine? Is she trying to uh, set up the Tyrells for something bad, or is she very much being genuine in terms of her intentions? Great question. You read Ibad Khan's mind. Let's take a voicemail about this very subject. Hey, Rob and Josh. Here's my question. Do you think Cersei's agreeing with Grandma Tyrell to help out Marjorie is just Cersei's plan to take back King's Landing? In the episode, they agree that the Lannister army can't intervene with the Sparrows, so they'll get the Tyrell army to fight them instead. I think this is just Cersei's plan to have the Tyrells and the Sparrows fight each other and dwindle down both armies at the same time. Two birds, one stone. You know what I'm saying? Love the podcast and I look forward to hearing your response. All right. So this is basically what we're discussing already. And I think rather than it being like Cersei's plan to knock out the Tyrells and the Sparrow at the same time, I think that she sees the upside in having the Tyrells fight this battle instead of the Lannisters. You know, she's the benefactor of that. Mm -hmm. Why not have the Lannisters, though, their army just go in there? I I mean, if they did not send the Lannister army in at the point where Cersei is captured, what, what difference is the Tyrell army going to make? Like, I just don't understand if it was prohibitive for an army to go in when Cersei was captured. Why why is the Tyrell army going to have any sort of a different result? Oh, who knows if it'll have a different result. But I think that at the very least, the casualties won't be on Cersei's side. You know, it won't be Lannister men going down. It'll be uh, the soldiers of these people that she doesn't really care all that much for. Uh, So I think that she sees the upside of that. Yeah, it, to me, I'm just still confused of if an army can go in there and take somebody out, why wasn't this an option when Cersei was captured? 
Well, so this is from Jeff Probst, who says, Will the High Sparrow go down as easily as the calls? I figure he's a bit too crafty for that, and from what we've seen so far, he's been getting into Tommen's ear, and that's apparently backfiring, as Tommen's telling Cersei about Marjorie's Walk of Atonement, but does the Sparrow really not expect Tommen to spill his guts to Mom? He had to have planned for that, right? Um, so that's Jeff's comment on that. I think that the Sparrow is proving himself to be a pretty shrewd dude. Uh, <laughs> he is he is an and a rude dude as well. Uh, he is he is crafty. He's smart. He's manipulative. He is um, he has built this enormous power base basically overnight. It feels like, um, and I think that that's a very smart comment from Jeff about you got to imagine that the Sparrow is talking to Tom and knowing that Tom is going to talk to Cersei. So this plan that's being cooked up, let's bring the Tyrell forces to the Sept of Baylor, let's free Marjorie, let's arrest and or kill the High Sparrow. That plan, God imagine High Sparrow has some sort of countermeasure in place, right? You would think so. He's ready for them. Yes. I think so. He has the seven on his side. He has the seven on his side. He's got at least seven friends, probably more than that. More friends than I had in sixth grade, I would imagine. Certainly more friends than I have now. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. You're kind of the high sparrow of the podcasting world, Rob. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yeah, no. you ball, you like him. You uh, you you speak uh, on high without wearing shoes. I usually always have shoes on. Really? We're very different in that way. Yes. You and I, or you and the sparrow, are different in that way because I'm currently not wearing shoes. Oh, uh, see, yeah, I feel like uh, I always. You know, well, sometimes, you know, it's just so hot here that I'll wear sandals. But for the most part, if I can help, I'd rather be wearing shoes and socks. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, well, I think that's basically it for this week in terms of feedback. Um, we had a little bit of a question about the Iron Islands. There was a quick scene there um, sort of wondering what's going to happen. Previews look like we might be getting into King's Moot territory next week. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick had written in. If Yara is named the new queen of the Ironborn, do you think that she'll march on Winterfell to avenge Theon? If so, does that mean we would now have three armies marching on Ramsay at Winterfell from th- from three different sides? He's so screwed. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait either, Rob, and I think that that's probably not an unfair assessment of how things might go down. Can I ask you a quick Kingsmoot question? Yeah, let's do it. Did the books yada yada the Kingsmoot or did no. it play out? No. Okay. Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> they maybe a lot of people would argue they should have yada yada the king's mood. <laughs> okay. But they went deep into the king's mood. There were like three different sets of eyes on the king's mood. Okay. That story played out for sure. All right. Yeah. Just checking. Just checking. You can actually a lot of people blame the king's mood for the fact that the books have slowed down. Uh you know, it's Dorn, Mirene, and the King's Moot are all so complicated and lengthy. That people are kind of like, George, why did you do this stuff when there's so much else to focus on? So, yeah, no, the King's Moot played out for sure. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun on the show. And I love it in the books as well. But I get the point of like, did we have to spend so much time on the frickin King's Moot? Yeah. OK, just double checking on that. Yeah, we're King's Mooting <laughs> next week. We're getting we're going to we're going to moot for sure. OK, I think uh, that they, I think that they will yada yada a little bit of the moot, but it's not going to be a moot point. Got to yada yada the moot. Yeah. I think so, too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right, Josh, anything it. else from this week? No, 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 no. I mean, we could always go on and on and on, but uh, we've got other business to attend to in our lives. All right. So very exciting. We are going to be heading into episode number five this Sunday night live on postshowrecaps.com. I uh, can't wait to get into it. What's the name of this episode this week? Uh, the name of the episode this week is The Door. The Door? Yeah. 
All right, you know that going? band? Great band. But only they only got one of the doors. House of Black and White? Yeah, I think House of Black and White is happening. Uh, looks like, you know, from uh, production photos, from the preview, there's going to be some stuff in the north. Looks like it's going to be some interesting action with Bran Stark. Uh, looks like we are going to see a little bit more of his, you know, crazy vision quests that he's been on, and it might take him into White Walker territory. Looks like we're getting our first dose of White Walkers next week. Okay. All right. So looking forward to that. Where do you want to go with the hashtag? I think I love Benjamin Button so Benjamin much. Benjamin Button. Okay, good. That made me really happy. So let's just, I know he didn't come up enough, but God, that was really funny. Well, I'm glad when we get one that you really like. Uh, it tickled me. I liked it. <laughs> good. All right. Hashtag Benjamin Button. Josh Wiggler is going to have the Game of Thrones book club coming up later this week. Don't miss any of that. You can subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes or search for the Game of Thrones post show recap in your favorite podcatcher. And we always appreciate your feedback and star ratings, your Stark ratings in the iTunes store. Yeah, I agree with all of the things that you've said just now. Okay. Uh, Josh, in addition to everything you're working on for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, what's coming up for the Mr. Robot Revisited? Yeah, Mr. Robot Revisited continues. We are up to episode three in our rewatch of Mr. Robot as we are journeying along on the way to the season two premiere in the middle of July. New recap every single week. It starts off spoiler free. It gets spoiler filled toward the end. There is a very clear distinction between the two sides of the podcast. Really fun. Loving talking about that show with Antonio Mazzaro. He's such a smart guy. Knows that show really, really well. Our conversations have been very fun. And we fell down the Urban Dictionary rabbit hole on uh, or robot hole on this past week's episode Mm. of Mr. Robot. Uh, We'll see if that ever comes up again. But just to give you some advice from that podcast here... Look up your name on Urban Dictionary and My see name? what you find. Or anybody's Any, name. Anybody's name. Uh, it's been an interesting experience so far. Uh, <laughs> I can't promise that it won't be NSFW, uh, but it's, it's yielded some promising results for Antonio and I, and I know for Michael Bloom as well. Uh, first name or last name? First name, first name, first name. I'd be curious to know the Urban Dictionary definition of Rob or Robert. Okay. All right. Well, we can take a look into that all right uh good stuff all the way around uh lots of fun follow josh wiggler on twitter he's at round howard i am at rob sister looking forward to hearing your comments on postshowrecaps.com take care everybody have a good one bye